0: You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down, or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse.
1: Hi, this is Julie Kerr, producer of Inverse. Just jumping in quickly to let you know that this is part two of the conversation with Willie James Jennings. Part one was released last week. So if you haven't heard part one, be sure to go back and listen to it now.
0: Rev Jennings, um, I'd like to lift up the geography of a particular place that um, I've only ever visited five times. Uh, I think it's a place you'd find really, really interesting um, in terms of uh, the geography or geographic whiteness. Uh, It's uh, the the site of uh, Britain's first experimentation in colonisation. It's the place uh, my dad was born and, and grew up. And uh, if you're on the Cromlin Road in Belfast, in Ardoyne, and uh, uh, you you look south, there's a neighbourhood that my parent, my people are are from. And uh, my tour, my initial tour of that place, and in terms of how it relates to Acts 1, uh, was a tour of this is where your cousin was killed. Mm. Uh, This is where they bulldozed the streets and rebuilt the house so we couldn't escape the British troops. Um, and we couldn't open the doors and escape out the back. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a place where your dad was shoved against a wall uh, with guns pointed at him. And they asked, what are you doing here? And your dad replied, what are you doing here? Which was a story that they still tell. And for, for me growing up um, uh, in, a, in a place that has worked so hard uh, where both sides of my family for the first time can be white Although that whiteness is always flexible, right? (laughs) I I thought of you about three years back, um, I was uh, arrested in a nonviolent direct action and uh, a a vicious right-wing hate group, Um, the death threats um, called me kike and all all these um, racist Jewish terms um, were being uh, thrown around and I was like, oh, there are points where they'll revoke your whiteness if, if you push it hard enough. But I read acts one, and I I read um, uh, your commentary on it. And I think of the question of when are we coming into power? And I think initially, um, in my early 20s, I would have thought this was a power grab, instead of, as I've done the work of understanding my family better, understanding that this is trauma. And we're almost with Maybe, you know, James and John's mum was there and their mama is still going, yeah, this is the question I rose about, when do we get the important seats and can my boys have them? It's this sense of how, as you raise all of that and we think about the history of nationalisms, um, particularly in the 20th century, that have been a a resistance, uh, that have been um, uh, an appeal to undo imperialism and colonialism, um, the challenge of this text really comes to light. Uh, I'm interested to hear um, the kind of nonviolence, if I can use that term, that you're calling to and, and you see in, in this text. Um, w- would you speak to its revolutionary potential when some might hear it as just a call to um, uh, passivity in the midst of empires?
1: Right, right, right. Well, see, well, here, here is the thing about what you just described so powerfully. Jared, is the uh, reality of incarceral spaces. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they exist all over the world mm. from, the, from the very first moments of land grabbing mm. and modern the modern colonial imagination. And, and that land grabbing, and people often don't put these together, the, that land grabbing had to do with the control, not just the ownership, and possession of space, but the controlling of space the controlling of movements of space right anything that challenges the controlling of movement and the shape of places is a direct challenging of those regimes of violence a direct mm. challenging of that colonial vision of the world and so when you look at acts 2 in relationship to acts 1 what the spirit is doing is breaking down the very barriers, the very boundaries that make it possible for the regime to stay in power. And this is really what's really crucial. So what would happen if the spirit is able, if if people yield to the spirit the spirit is able through their yielding, to draw people together across the boundary, across the border, to bind them together, for them to start to imagine life forward together. If there's anything that sustains a regime, it is segregation. And it is not simply segregation geographically, its segregation as a mental framework within which to think my life. So what am I saying then? What am I saying is that the the, the challenge for anyone who calls themselves Christian is to hear what the spirit is saying at the site of breaking boundary, at the site of challenging the configuration of land ownership and possession, at the site of creating the, the, the lines of movement and of control that happens through those lines of where you can go and where you can't go, where you should be and you shouldn't be. You see, it all comes back to the struggle. It, it is a struggle. It all comes back to the struggle that the Spirit is drawing us toward in the configuration of how we live on the ground in the world. And so for all those who, you know, they might hear quietism, what I'm saying, what I want to challenge them to do is to, to, to listen very carefully, especially to Acts 1 and 2, because in Acts 1, the disciples want weapons. <laughs> they want weapons. Right. Yeah. They want, they want, okay, now, now that you have the power, let's, let's roll, let's roll over our enemies. Yeah. And that's the, what they The want.
0: Israelite Republican army. Right
1: that, that yeah. that's what that's what they want they want and it's an here i'll be clear clear jesus d- doesn't rebuke them and say oh how dare you why haven't you he said, okay i know mean... you want power okay it's coming it's coming but it's not going to be the victory is not going to be in the way you're envisioning it because that's not a victory wow i was on this panel discussion with a group of people and they were all they were all trying to Justify the possibility of of arming poor communities, Mm -hmm. and and I said to them, I said that's that's not a victory. Yeah, that's not a victory. Uh, A fully armed black community is not a victory. That's a loss. Because weapons weapons are never the answer. Because weapons are the trajectory moving away from where we're moving, right? Mm -hmm. We're moving toward the turning of weapons into into tools and cultivating the land. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're not going in the opposite direction. But in Acts 1, this is what empire seduces us toward, pulls Mm -hmm. us toward. You want want, want my boot off your neck? Pick up that gun. You Mm -hmm. You want my boot off? Come on, pick up that gun. Pick it up. And the moment we pick it up, we realize that's what they were waiting for for you to pick up that gun because now it justifies the boot in their mind it justifies the boot but mm. but if you if you turn not not just to the one who has the boot on his neck but to all those around and you start speaking and you sound like their mother you sound like their mother mm. and you speak to them from the depths of what the world in which they think they're protecting, they think they're protecting that. And you speak from within that world, all of a sudden like, okay, something is happening here. And this, now here's, but let's get, let's get, I don't don't wanna, I don't wanna sound romantic. Let's get clear. Mm -hmm. So the challenge across this planet has always been the challenge since the colonial moment. The challenge is to link up all those are suffering, Mm -hmm. to link up all those pushing through the fear and the the incredible energy of the hegemonic storytellers, the storytellers Mm -hmm. that have told them that those people are your real enemy, not us with power, those people, to link up peoples together so that together they see that they are in a shared project of living. this is what's being driven forward by the spirit in the book of Acts. So if you, if you don't see what's going on in Acts 1 and 2, you cannot understand what's going on in Acts 4. You cannot understand what's going on when they share all things in common. You cannot understand how they no longer fear what the religious leaders or Rome will do to them. They don't, lo- they don't fear that anymore. So the, the radicality that some people think is only in chapter one actually shows up in chapter four and it seems right. far more radical mm-hmm. than ever. So like, no, we don't, you wanna kill us? Don't worry about it. We're gonna move forward. Mm-hmm. This, you cannot thwart God. Mm-hmm. And Gamelia at least got that right. Mm-hmm. If this is God, you cannot thwart it. That's <laughs> right. But let's be clear, but let's be clear. This is the struggle. There is a righteous struggle. There is a righteous struggle. And the righteous struggle is not over whether we take up arms or not. The righteous struggle is whether we yield our lives toward one another through the Spirit. Do we do we hear the Spirit calling us together? There was a, I was talking in a, in a particular town and talking to a wonderful, and a young, young wonderful young pastor I, came up to me afterwards, African-American pastor, pastors this uh, well-established historic Black church in this community. And he came up to me after I got done talking. He said, uh, Brother Jennings, I just want to tell you that um, he, what you said has confirmed what the Spirit has been trying to get me to do, but I just refuse to do it. I live in, he said, I live in an impoverished Black community. And every day when I drive into um, the community because he didn't live in the community. We talked about that later. But he said every every day when I drive in, I drive past a number of Latinx, a number of um, immigrant uh, areas right by my church. Um, there's also a, a little bohemian group of um, of uh, folk, non gender conforming folk who live in the area, and I, I drive by them all the time to get to my my people. And he this is what he said to me. <laughs> as I'm driving, the Spirit of God keeps, keeps whispering to me, those are your people. those are your people. those are your people. And he, he just he, he just keeps on driving. The spirit says, those are your people. those are your people. those are your people. because he said, I'm committed I'm committed to the black struggle said, I'm committed to the black struggle and the spirit kept saying, those are your people. those are your people. those are your people, all of them, all of them. All of them are one. And the church, the church that he serves is called to all of them with those who are in the church. That that whole community is his people. And what he was afraid of, what he was afraid of is losing himself and his people losing their voice if he pays attention to, in, you know, any Burn. of these other groups, but what he slowly was starting to see is no, this, but this is the problem for us. We are in a legacy. We are in a terrible legacy that can only imagine assimilation mm-hmm. with loss. Yeah, We can only imagine being together with eradication, with erasure, with with cancellation, we are in a horrible legacy that has denied us the legacy of scripture, right? So so here's the thing that everybody, if you hear anything else today, you gotta hear this. We are inside someone else's story. That's right. We're inside somebody else's story. And to be inside that story is not loss, it's gain. Hmm. But the problem is, is that the way that we've been often taught it, is we have either erased Israel by supersessionism, mm-hmm. pushed them to the side, or what we've done is that we have turned the Bible basically into us. And mm-hmm. so that there's no, there's no sense of being inside somebody else's story, there's no sense mm-hmm. of how you can enter into the lives of others, fully embrace those lives without losing yourself. And in fact, to enter fully so that you just your love of Jesus from within, inside the reality of another people. That's our legacy, our rightful legacy and not the one we gain through colonialism, which says. If if I come up inside here, I'm going to lose myself or I'm going to take over what's here. And so this poor pastor, he was finally starting to see. That when the spirit was saying your people, the spirit wasn't saying choose, <laughs> the spirit was saying open. The spirit wasn't saying choose between that group and your group. The spirit wasn't saying them first and then you second, or you you first and then them second. The spirit was saying to him, you will only come to know fully your people when you can open your eyes and see your people.
2: Dude. Dr. Jennings, you know, when you came, and I think it was 2015 when you made your visit to Messiah, was that 2015? I think or around then, certainly.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah,
2: and you, um, and you spoke, you gave an evening lecture, and I don't know if you, I don't know if word has came back to you, but you sparked all kinds of stuff um, for, <laughs> certainly for, um, so Jean Corey in our, she uh, has been directing the Center for Public Humanities and their work, they had already been doing really good work um, in Harrisburg, in the city, but but your work kind of reoriented them to do like a much more intentional focus on race and place and, and mm. the stories of, of and so they've, the student fellows are just uncovering, uh, going back, digging it, and they're just telling really powerful stories for our region and how it shapes race and place and up to the present. So all kinds of stuff has been emerging out of that. And. Uh, we recently got a grant that I'll be directing that is going to kind of tie into that around um, this Lilly funded grants around congregations and kind of drawing them into the stories around race and place and thinking about that as well. But my, I guess, question is, as um, I know you've thought and reflected on some of this already, like what is some of your hope for congregations um, as you think about Racial geographic racial segregation policy housing all the history of redlining Mm -hmm. all that stuff that's going Mm -hmm. on. What's your hope for congregations on the grounds as they gather and reflect to start telling more truthful stories of the land that they inhabit on?
1: Uh, You know, I have great hopes, especially Mm -hmm. at this moment that churches will start to take seriously. um, Listening to the spirit Mm -hmm. and and concretely what that means is two things one. You know, I'm hoping that more churches will start to tell the actual story of their faith. Yes, there's a whole lot of Christians that don't even know that they are Gentiles.
0: <laughs> yeah, come they, on,
1: they don't even, they don't even yep. know that they're Gentiles. They they have no idea that this is somebody else's story. And, yeah. and 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 I don't say that facetiously. I mean, some Christians need to be introduced to the fact. You know, you're inside somebody else's story.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guess
1: what? That's not by accident. Mm -hmm. There's something you're supposed to learn by that entrance into the story, right? Something about what it means to be a Christian, to enter into the lives. There's a continual entering into the lives of others that is a part of being Christian. It's not an add-on. What it means Mm -hmm. to be Christian is that you stepped up inside something else that's not yours. Mm -hmm. Opened yourself to it. And God continues to call you in that direction. So i hope is that people start to, to to tell a different gospel story, and that's you know that's an every Sunday, every week thing I'm praying for that more and more people will start to articulate a Christianity that's strange. Mm. There's something beautifully strange about the faith, right? That most people most people don't know, and it's that strangeness that's going to open them to a deeper level of life. But then it gets back to what you just you mentioned, Drew. I mean, the other thing I'm, I'm hoping for, especially at this moment, in this racially charged moment across the planet, mm. we, we need to turn back to the ground. Mm-hmm. We need to step more fully into the multiple wisdoms of indigenous peoples. We need to step oh, more fully into the ground and what it means to live in a place, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing about it. So many, I mean, let's, let's, let's take the racial condition of the Western world. That condition, the racial condition of the racial world, the white supremacy, of the, it cannot be addressed until we return to the ground mm. and the segregation and the, and the way the built environment nurtures that. That's what so many people don't understand. Yeah. Race and place are so intricately bound together that until you start to address the way the built environment structures this, we're not, we're not gonna get at it. I mean, so one, one example that so many people know, across the planet, across the planet, friends, some of the most sought after livable space, some of the most beautiful property, beachfront, and all, uh, are owned by white people across the planet. Hmm. What sense does that make? How is that possible? Across the planet, the most desirable land on the planet is owned by white people. Is that by accident? No, that's not by accident. And until we start to address this racial configuration of the built environment, all the praying and well-wishing and hoping about changing, you know, uh, white supremacy and racial structure—it's just, you know, it's just—it's smoke in the air. We've got to take very seriously understanding that configuration. And then we have to move against, how do we move against it? And here's what I hope churches will do. I I want churches to so fully start to ask the question, God, who should we be in this place? Who should we be in this place, this ground? To start to understand the history of the ground, to start to understand the stories to, to, to listen to those peoples who know the ground, who understand air, water, sky, and animals, and Amen. to start to reshape our lives so that we are in alignment mm. with the earth itself, in alignment with life. Now, so here's what's crucial here. Those, these two crucial words that I want churches to hold on to. Connectivity and relationality. Connectivity mm and relationality. I learned this from Vine Deloria Jr. (laughs) From his work and from the great Tink Tinker.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Ojibwe, poet, theologian, Mm -hmm. religious leader, scholar. So, uh, and another gentleman, Arturo Escobar, wonderful anthropologist who's written beautifully on this. Okay. So a people's connectivity, sense of connectivity to the land, to animals, to the environment, to the to the, the changes of the season, to the weather patterns, to the, how the ground feels. People who People's connectivity is directly tied to the depth of their relationality, mm-hmm. directly tied. If you don't have a sense of connectivity, then your level of relationality is going to be hollow mm-hmm. because where you are is inconsequential, right? But if you have a deep sense of connectivity, then your sense of relationality becomes deep. So what does that mean? I care about what's happening around me, not just the property I own, not just yeah. you know, not just my run from here to the grocery store, or the drugstore. I care yeah. about this entire community. And in fact, I'm learning through the spirit of God and through listening, I'm learning to feel where I am. Mm. I want every church, every church, and every church's leadership, should be able to feel its community, its its immediate and wider community, Mm. to feel when there's joy, to feel when there's sadness, to feel, to sense when there's need that they that they are there. Right now, obviously, what I'm saying presses against fundamentally the geographic configurations of our life, because the geographic configurations of our life are controlled by all those who we ignore, real estate, developers, architects, you know, um, land, land uh, and civil engineers, we ignore these people, we ignore what they do, and which means that we ignore the very place upon which the spirit is calling us to work. hmm. And so my, my hope is that churches will finally start to understand that the life of the church, I mean, what we, we all say, it, but we don't know what we mean when we say it, you know, what goes on inside the building is, is not important what goes on outside, the building, but, but we don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. What that means is that we are called to a place. Now, let me, let me like, full disclosure, I just moved to Hamden, Connecticut, and I'm still trying to discern where I should be plugged in. It takes time because mm-hmm. we're pushing against we're pushing against the grain of everything, everything. Yeah. yeah. But a community together that thinks about how it will push against the grain that's my hope, Drew. That's my hope oh, that w- that we'll will be become communities that start to ask the question, start to prayerfully ask the question, and if the and if the community has people who are involved with real estate or development or architecture that they will bring those folk front and center and say okay let's let's talk through what this means i also want churches i mean this this is the more activist side but i'm going to go ahead and say it mm-hmm. i also want churches all over go the ahead. i want churches all over the world to unmask the developers yeah the most hidden people on the planet mm-hmm. are not the ceos of fortune 500s Mm-mm. it's not the people who work in the World Bank or IFM, the most hidden people on the planet are the land developers. Mm. Most people don't know who they are. And I'm I'm not trying to call them evil, but they often don't want to be known. Mm. But these people are making the most fundamental decisions of our existence. And they need to be known. Yeah, because they're making decisions in back rooms with just a few people that affect everybody. No configuration in any community happens by accident. Mm-hmm. A, a expensive, an expensive, um, uh, gated community next to an impoverished community doesn't happen by accident.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are people with money and the power to make decisions without democratic <laughs> consultation. That's right. Yeah. All over this planet. And what I would love for churches to do is be a part of a movement, start a movement Mm -hmm. where across this world and in every city, those people are known. They are on blast where they live, what money they have and Mm -hmm. what they want. Mm -hmm. And that if you are a developer, the one thing you know is that you're not going to be you're going to be like a movie star. We're all going to know who you are. <laughs> we everybody going to know who you, and everybody's going to know every decision that you're trying to make. Because yeah. why? Because those decisions are not often driven. In fact, ninety nine percent those those decisions are not not driven by building community. Those decisions are driven by building profit. Yeah. Those decisions are not driven by uh, uh, creating a just society. Those decisions are driven by how can I squeeze more capital out of this land? And the immorality of the very structure is what I must be challenged. It must be challenged. And it Mm. can't be challenged as long as there are Christians who simply refuse. And many of, you know, let's be clear. Many of these developers are Christian. Mm -hmm. They go to church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They go to church, and they don't, and and many pastors know who they are, mm. and don't say a word, keep it quiet. That's how they got their churches. That's how they got. You know, <laughs> they're, they're big, they're big donors. They're big donors. Ties are coming in. <laughs> they, 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 they they can walk. They can call a mayor and be in the mayor's office in an hour. They can call a governor, be in the governor's office in an hour. They, mm. You know, they show up at the White House. They show up, at, you know, in any part. They show up all over the world. Be- and, and they are international. So the same firm that's developing land in Australia is developing mm-hmm. land in Detroit, is developing mm-hmm. land in Philadelphia, is developing land in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and only a few people know who they are. Mm-hmm. Sisters and brothers, that's wrong. Amen. Mm-hmm. That that's where, where in the Bible, you says that which has been hidden shall be revealed. That mm-hmm. must be revealed. Mm-hmm. So, if there's anything I would want for churches to do in terms of its activist moment, yes, fight, fight, do all the things that we've been doing. But let's not forget, until you put on the table those who control place, so much of what we want to see happen in the world will not happen.
2: Hmm.
1: It hmm. will not happen. Because if I control the land, I control the shape of living. Mm-hmm. And if I challenge the control of the land, (laughs) then I can start to rethink the shape of living.
0: Mm. And Rev Jennings, one of the things I hear you doing in terms of lifting up Acts 1 is, here's our Lord asking imagination for deliverance to be lifted beyond these geographical boundaries and it be universalized. And yet, as the church has moved into um, coercive, lording power over others, modes of being the universal vision has stayed but it's now a vision of mastery rather than deliverance
1: exactly the problem is is that the universal was meant to be found in acts two <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: where the disciples are speaking another language
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, that's the, the universal is this this point of connection right it, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not over it's inside
0: Oh, Amen. Yeah, well.
1: the, the universal, the universal is the water that flows in places that no one thinks it can get to. Right. Hmm. This is the great thing about water; it shows up in places where nobody expects it, you know, or, <laughs> or, or or like a weed, a good a good solid weed. One person's weed is another person's flower, but they show up in places where they're not supposed to be. Hmm. You know, uh, the beautiful the beautiful spider that shows up in places where spider is not supposed to be. That's the <laughs> universal. The universal is this this connecting in ways that no one imagined it could be connected and it's yeah. the the connecting of dots that continue to move you know the uh, anthropologist tim ingold calls this meshwork work. Where things the things are, become knotted together and that that's that's in point of fact that's the power of the gospel that's the universal right there mm. it's the gospel being able to connect those unimagined connectable mm. and that's that's the power that we walk away from too quickly. I, I understand, I mean, I'm in the midst here right now in this country, as all of you know, I mean, this this past election and these past four years have been trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the temptation to hate mm. is palpable. Mm. The temptation to um, segregate is the strongest I have ever seen. I mean, I, I, I'm talking to people almost daily who are arguing with me that they think that the time of Jim Crow has returned. That is to say, we need to be separated from these people. We need our own. We need it. And I I, I understand, God knows I understand that impulse, but what people who argue that we don't realize that you're arguing toward death,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're arguing toward death, mm-hmm. Segregation in the history of this planet has always been the precursor to genocide. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is that the life that God calls us toward is a life that will nurture more life. But that requires, that requires a faith that can see where the spirit is leading, right? Mm-hmm. So so, so Acts 10 is so crucial for us, right?
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Peter shows up. Peter shows up after that that fantastic struggle with God. Mm. And Peter's first question, when he hits the ground with, with Cornelius, when he comes into the house, when he gets there with Cornelius, his, his first words are, I'm just so glad to be here. No, that's not his first words. His first words <laughs> were, uh, you you know we're not supposed to be together, right? So somebody tell me, what am I doing up in here? Hmm. I mean, that's that's what he says. Why, huh. why am I up in this joint? With I mean, we he, ain't supposed to be. Why why am I here?
0: Yeah.
1: Why am I here?
0: Because <laughs> you you ain't kosher. <laughs>
1: right. I'm not supposed to be here. But but here's the thing about it. remember, when it's all said and done, the whole story in the, in the Book of Acts is so important. But probably the most one of the most crucial moments in that book in that chapter comes at the very end when it says they stayed and broke bread together yeah oh, mm. my God. yeah and then yeah. so and then, when you come to the end of the book of acts there's another profound moment the most commentators just run right past i mean that moment i just mentioned they run right past, but they also run so it says that you know paul's on house arrest mm-hmm. but he welcomes all who come to him, he welcomes mm. everybody. Now, when you think of who that man was when he was first introduced that's in the right. book of Acts and who he was at the end, that's mind blowing. Mm. I mean, that's the that's the radicality of a different vision of hospitality, right? Yes. One yeah. in which I, I am in, at this moment, opening myself to the possibility of relating and being together in ways that shatter the constrictions of identity of of, of old identities. I'm, I'm, I'm at that site of that possibility, but it's a possibility that can't be realized unless people see it as what the spirit intends. Our life together, our very life together as Christians should already say Something so revolutionary, something so counter hegemonic, something so counter the way the world thinks, that by our very life together, we are already opening up the possibilities of a different way of being, a different way of being. And that's the challenge. But obviously, given where we are, given what we're facing, and given the way Christianity has been configured, this is the struggle, my, my friends. This is the struggle.
2: Yeah. Oof. I want to um, recognize um, your new works? Well, new one that recently dropped, and, and another one that people are anticipating. And I remember I always uh, brag, and um, I know it was coincidence, I guess, but I don't know if you remember. A couple of years ago, we were waiting in the airport, and next thing we knew, we found ourselves seated next to each other on the airport. And so I got to pick your brain, um, and that was a treat for me. And I remember you were talking about a book on theological education. Um, and also a book on creation, right? Um, And so, in fact, I've started Cracked Open um, after whiteness. I got that here, and just really powerful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're singing my song of my, like, whole academic journey of just so much that I've seen and experienced. So so I'm really grateful for that. And I'll just mention real quick that um, our department chair, I – encourage him to check it out. He um, bought a copy for everyone in our department and we're still gonna be having some conversations in the spring um, on After Whiteness as well. And so we're excited about that. Um, But also I would love, if you wanna give a teaser, I'm sure in many ways it connects to some of the things you've already talked about, but what can we anticipate as we think about um, the book on creation? Does that have a title yet? uh, And and what can we anticipate as that um, gets released?
1: The the my hope is my hope is to have it's it's got delayed because of everything. but yeah. My hope, my hope is to have it in my publisher's hands uh, by late next year. Late next year, awesome. Uh, and so um, that book, um, what I'm going to try to do is completely rethink the doctrine of creation. Mm-hmm. Rethink the doctrine creation, and uh, what I want to do is to um, stick with the ground. Yeah. And I, I I want to try to tell an alternative story about um, what it means to be a Christian who um, understands that we inhabit the world with mm. other persons some of which are human to quote thinkers mm-hmm. and that alternative story uh, would would really um, build from in a different direction from the missionary mistake what I call the fundamental mm. mistake The fundamental missionary mistake was that they came there between the merchant and the soldier, those three coming to the new world, which are crucial for us. But the fundamental missionary mistake is that when the missionary looked out and saw these indigenous peoples and saw that they treated the world as though it was alive, animate, communicative, and communicative, that they saw that these many different peoples in various different ways understood the world to be in a reciprocal relationship with them, multiple different persons in relationship with them. And um, they were attuned and sensitive to those relationships. And the missionary mistake was to say what you see as alive and communicating to you is a lie. Mm. It's not alive. It's not communicating to you. What's being what's what's happening is that you're being influenced by demons. Mm. And it's demonic. And the way you must look at all this is as a resource. Mm. Not as alive, not as communicative, but as a resource. And from that the Doctrine of Creation gets launched. Mm -hmm. But there were some missionaries who came and said, no, okay, I agree with you. It's alive and communicative. The question is, how, how are you relating to it? And I want to introduce to you someone who wants to be a part of that relationship. Yes. This God who, um, in a sense, this God who created all of us now wants to guide that relationship so that you will not in any way be menaced by your siblings. Mm. You will not, there will be no tyrants among your siblings among you. And that's the God I want to represent and present to you. A God who guides all God's creatures together. Hmm. Now, of course, here's the problem. That missionary was often killed by the first missionary. Hmm. That missionary was often told you are inappropriate to this place because Mm -hmm. you are thinking too much like these people Mm -hmm. but that missionary was the one from whom a doctrine of creation should have been built yes um, Yeah. and not that other missionary Mm -hmm. so this book is going to say we're going to build a doctrine of creation not from that missionary not from the first missionary from the second Mm -hmm. who came and said you are right yes i hear the trees i hear yes the rocks i hear i hear the animals speaking i sense in you the sacred space i sense it and the god i wish to speak of will help us all will help us all Relate better, yeah, to our siblings. Now, the complicated story that must be told is how that relating should be.
0: Mm-hmm. How
1: that relating should be. So that's what the that's that the, the creation. That's what the creation book's going to do.
2: Looking forward to that. That's yep.
0: And Rev Jennings, um, Pastor Adam Gowan, who's a Wiradjuri man, who we had on as a guest last <laughs> week. One of the things that um, he shared is. Uh, his traditional totems and if you understand um, and if you have totems and you listen for totems and, and you care for whether it's the kaka or the kookaburra uh, as um, we say in, in English or whether it's the kangaroo um, you identify in such ways that um, suddenly if you're in Acts 10 any talk of eating certain foods is actually about certain people Yes, we, we, we're talking about like um, th- this actually signifies uh, other people and what it is to have an imagination that can hear the praises of all of creation, not just humans. And yes. um, we, we continue to um, write off worldviews um, that fit closer to the psalmist as uh, people who are nature mystics, instead of it actually being the call of all of humanity to to listen to the rest of creation.
1: Yes, yes. no, well, that's exactly right. Now, I say that in Acts 10, you know, when when that sheet was lowered, lowered to Peter, um, modern commentators never see this. Mm. They never see. It. They think it's just a a culinary, a culinary struggle. <laughs> <laughs> One culinary struggle? What? <laughs> no. No no they understood. When that when that when that sheet was lowered, people were being lowered mm-hmm. because they they knew identify people with their animals. Mm-hmm. And To eat of that animal is to say, I wish to now be a part of that people. Yeah. This is what, this is why Peter was so adamant. No, H, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat that. (laughs) No. Because what was being lowered, this is the radicality of Acts 10. Mm. What was being lowered is not just, you know, expand your tastes. No. What was being lowered are people Mm. and not just people. Us, (laughs) that's us. Yeah. Yeah. So, to to when when God says, "Peter, rise, slay, and eat," those those three words, they they blow right by us. Mm -hmm. But we understand that for so many people, there's profound ritual behind the killing of an animal, right? Mm -hmm. Promises are made. Promises are made. To, to who you will be with that animal, how you, that animal will be remembered, how it's how its body will be treated, that you will not take more than you need. You will not kill purposely, purpose, you know, mm-hmm. w- without clear purpose. All that is involved in the word slay. And so when God says slay, God is saying the very rituals, the very rituals that are involved, in eating this animal, I want you now to take seriously. Mm. Slay and eat, right? So to enter fully into and so what Peter was being what God was presenting to Peter, and this is why those words, what 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 I have made clean, you may not, you may not call unclean. And obviously, we could add the words any longer. This is mm-hmm. this is a new word. You may yeah. not call unclean any longer. The very realities in which, you know, you've been taught not only to, to um, shun theologically, but shun aesthetically mm-hmm. is gone now. So the here, so God is preparing, not just Peter, God is preparing Israel. Yes. To enter into fully God's own love of the world mm. by by this eating. So yeah, this, and this, and unfortunately, so many people, when they preach and teach that passage, they, they utterly miss, they miss both reality. They miss that mm. this is where we enter into the story. <laughs> they miss that. And they also miss what's at stake. If I, by God's command, mm. am being told to eat this food, I am being told by God's command to enter into the lives of these people enter into it, hear their voices, understand what it means to be them, to eat their food is to be with them. And Unfortunately, as we talked about earlier, this is where the radicality that starts with Acts 1 and 2, it it builds throughout the whole book. It Mm -hmm. builds. It's building throughout the whole book so that by the time we, we get deep into the book, what we're understanding is that This is Israel being confronted with a God that is opening Israel out to God's own desire for the entire creation. Hmm. God's own desire for the entire creation, right? It's no accident that in Acts 10, God didn't uh, lower an image of a bunch of people sitting on a sheet. God lowered animals because this, this is moving deeply into the reality of the divine love. A reality we've already seen in the first part of the Luke Acts uh, work, right? Yeah. And what is that? It is the fact that the incarnation itself is all the way, not simply into flesh, Mm. but into the dirt. Yes. God incarnates all the way into the dirt. Mm. When that wine and that bread are held up, God Mm -hmm. has moved all the way into the dirt. Yes. Yes. And so there is no way that that could not be the case because in order to get to us, the Gentiles, God has got to come to the dirt. Mm. Come to the dirt. Mm. That's what we are. We're at the dirt.
0: Mm. Rev. Jennings, um, there's, there's so many questions we wanted to ask you, but um, we're, we're getting into that time period where it's risk yeah. of you falling out of a window because we've kept you so long. So we, 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 we want to be merciful as uh, our Lord is merciful and, and let you go. But, um, Uh, We we hope for that time where you will no longer call us followers but friends and uh, we might move um, from uh, Doc Rev Jennings to Willie James um, uh, to to break bread, whether it be here in Australia or in uh, uh, Pennsylvania with with Drew. we deeply admire you. On this call right now, we've got uh, Carol Unger um, from Kenya, um, from Singi Trust, doing incredible work um, with friends like Tamara, who's in um, London, um, uh, uh, I'm seeing people from all over. We've got people from Germany, uh, people from uh, Norway, Daniel's in, in Norway. Uh, So there's much love for you here, and we feel like we journey with you um, often. Please know that we hold you and your work and your witness in prayer. Um, uh, It's an incredible gift um, to us, and we'll have you back any time. I wanted to ask you about... um, uh, uh, plantation education and we didn't get there. Um, I, I wanted to talk about um, uh, masculinity and land ownership and we didn't get yeah. there. I want to talk about our ecological crisis and and we didn't get there. Um, so we have so many things that we'd love to, um, uh, we, we wanted to, Dr. U and I were talking about, we'd love to hear you reflect on um, uh, Kendi's uh, anti-racist work and hear how um, your reflections on, on, on that, but we didn't get there. Um, so this is an open invitation. Anytime, <laughs> you, I'd love to have listen, you back.
1: Listen, you invite me back anytime you want. I'll be glad to talk about all those things. I'm glad to talk about all those things and more because all those Glory. things are dear to my heart and my passion at this crucial moment. It, this, this is a, such an important moment for us. And yes. you know, I, as I always like to say, you know, because it's, so, it's such a difficult time across the planet, know we have to be disciplined by hope yes hope is a discipline and we have to understand Mm -hmm. it as such and and move into this moment um trusting in the god who rose from the dead right Hmm. that that always at the end of the day that that's what steadies us um as the my the the old baptist preacher that i grew up hearing he would always say at the most crucial moments he got up he got up. <laughs> mm, that's right. That's right. That's right. Man. We, we got we to gotta always remember he got up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm so glad.
0: Likewise. Rev, would you pray for us as we close? I'd be glad to. Thank you.
1: We are thankful, God, that you indeed faced what we face with an intensity that was undeserved for you as the intensity so often is undeserved for us we're thankful that you faced what we face and knew the despair that awaits that facing knew the struggle but unlike so many of us you also you also came through and you said to us <laughs> you will too. So we're thankful that we serve a risen and victorious Savior, who even in your victory, you remain with us at the sites of defeat and despair. You have not run on ahead of us and left us. You have come back to us and said, I am with you here, and I know where you're going. But for now, What's most important is for you to know that I am here with you now, and I am brought where you're going now. <laughs> so we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and that all that you are doing. And we ask that you would, by your spirit, speak to us even more clearly. For all of us who are, have said yes to you, show us the places where we have not yielded fully to your leading. Help us to become those who help others to yield to your leading. We ask that the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the living God, would not only rise up in us, but rise up through us, so that in every place and space and time and moment that we inhabit, everyone will sense a new wind, a new wind a new possibility. Allow us to be people of the new. Allow us to be people who show the possibility where others see nothing. This is the gift we want. We want to be those who speak the new, who are the new. And we ask this because we know that you have called us to ask for this. (laughs) So we yield even now, and we pray, come Holy Spirit. Mm. Live powerfully through us. And on this day, in which in this country of the USA, people are talking about thanksgiving, we mourn with those so many indigenous peoples for whom this is not a day of thanksgiving. This is a day where there needs to be yet a new beginning of land restored, of life renewed. And so by your spirit, allow us, allow us to change that equation, help us to change that equation not only here, but across this planet, help us to change the way the built environment is. Show us, guide us, oh God, we know, that this work must be done. We ask for your strength to do it. We pray all this in the name of the one who rose from the dead, who loves us, who is with us, and who guides us into the joy of living. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen.
0: Thank you, good all right. Yeah, thank you
2: very much for taking the time. My pleasure.
1: Appreciate my pleasure. it. My pleasure. Bring you yeah. back again, we'll keep on talking. Oh, oh yeah. yeah,
2: oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 've got the, we could keep going Oh, no. yeah the, the, the invite <laughs> is on its way <laughs> Yeah yeah thank you so much
0: so deeply appreciate you The inverse podcast is proudly supported by you the listener and if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com/inverse.